May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. In this week's episode, we are starting a three-part series about arguably one of the single most powerful treatments for fibromyalgia. It is more powerful than common medications such as duloxetine, cyclobenzaprine, and amitriptyline. We will discuss the powerful role of movement that played in treating fibromyalgia in Rose Harwood. Rose's story is one of several of those living with fibromyalgia shared in the new documentary, Invisible the Film. Her story is unique because she was able to recover and continue to stay recovered from fibromyalgia. I hope that hers is a story of hope that will inspire many. At the same time, I recognize that it might be triggering to others who have never recovered and are living or have lived many years with severe symptoms. This is the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. I've been a physician for over 26 years. I am a pediatrician and internal medicine doctor, as well as a lifestyle medicine physician and clinical lipidologist. My goal is to help weave the best of lifestyle medicine and medical management to help those living with fibromyalgia live the best life possible. This podcast is meant for informational purposes. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual doctor or medical provider. In years past, depression was often ignored as a real problem until finally the medical community acknowledged that this mood disorder is a valid problem affecting millions and needs to be treated. Now it is time for physicians to step up and realize fibromyalgia is a similarly debilitating medical problem that strongly merits diagnosis and treatment. And now on to this week's episode. I am excited to have Rose Hardwood to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Rose. Tell us about yourself. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Michael. I am an actress and a producer primarily, and I am a fitness professional who is officially retired, though I still work a little bit. And I joke that I am certified within an inch of my life. So if there is a niche, small, odd fitness certification that you think nobody knows anything about, I'm probably certified in it because when you get obsessed with movement, that tends to happen. When you're certified. For those of you who are listening who have not seen the documentary Invisible, the film, I highly encourage it. But if you haven't, Rose is in the film and 
I was sadly disappointed. It's a slight criticism that I just felt that we only got a little glimpse. It's like that character that we wish they would have put in one of maybe one of our favorite characters and we only got a glimpse. And now we get a chance to hear more about your story. And I really wanted to learn more because I liked hearing some of your just heart, passion and what you went through. Maybe starting with the documentary as you, I think, were from the interview with Nick, the original person to come up with the idea. But if you want to talk about that first. Totally. Yeah. The documentary was my idea, technically, though I gladly handed it over to Nick to helm the creative presentation of the film with the support of our other producer, Paula Visastri, who was also instrumental in writing and supporting and developing the film. And our editor, Jillian Corsi, truly a documentary is written as much by the editor as by the writer. So, And I think it resonates with so many people, so many of my own patients who've been through that. And also, I hate using the word success story, but that can sometimes be shaming for people who are struggling, but also recognize there is a huge diversity of people who are living with this, who've been through this, who are currently in recovery, whatever words you want to use. Starting with the documentary. I have to shout all of them out and then also... Our co-producer, Polkitata, who is an incredible human. Yes, you don't see a ton of me in Invisible. And in many ways, though, though I think my story can be inspiring to some, I have learned that it can be triggering to many. And one of the biggest reasons why I handed the film off to others was because I understood that though my story is a percentage of people who are living with, I'm using air quotes, fibromyalgia, I think it is a smaller percentage. At least it still feels like my story is a bit more rare. And to that end, I think that my story is represented in the correct percentage if we're looking at the broader perspective of humans who are living with this every day. For those of you who don't know me or haven't watched the film, I was diagnosed at about 14 or 15. And my story is unique from the get-go because I was believed that there was something wrong with me. And I got a diagnosis of fibromyalgia the minute I stepped into a specialist's office. My pediatrician referred me to a rheumatologist And he was fairly certain that this was what I had. It then took me (laughs) about six or seven years to believe that specialist was correct. But I did get a confirmed and accurate diagnosis very early on and at a young age. The other thing that sets my story apart is that I was a competitive athlete and dancer prior to my diagnosis. So my athleticism When we talk about in the fitness industry, I like to talk about like an athletic age with someone or a training age. This is something you may have heard if you're listening or you, Michael, have heard in the medical profession. And basically the resilience of the human body, the strength level and how the different aspects of our bodies, how they function biomechanically has a lot to do with how long we have been exercising or training. So my training age goes all the way back to three years old when I was put in ballet class and started competitive gymnastics. And when you have someone who is a teenager who has a long athletic age, and then they're faced with something like fibromyalgia, the fact that I didn't stop exercising 
at the time of diagnosis and never lost my training age. And in fact, now I'm 38 years old, almost 39. And my training age is just a couple years younger than my chronological age. That causes differences in my neurological system and how my body functions. So that's another way that sort of sets me apart. And in the film, I'm set up as the athlete, which is accurate on some ends. I have competed in athletic events and sports over the years, though I'm a bit retired from that. Now, my last Olympic weightlifting meet was in the summer of 2021. And I've only really ever competed as a master's athlete, which basically means you're old. And I consider myself in remission. I sometimes use the word cured, but I know that can be triggering for some. So I try not to say that. And I have a lot of empathy for how that may be received. So my story is a little unusual and also important because I think people do need to see that you can have no symptoms. I've had no symptoms for almost 15 years at all. <laughs> my body is normal in most ways, though I do have a sensitive system and I always will. And I greatly respect that. Another thing that's fun is that I've only been injured once in my life. I was six and I broke my arm. And other than that, I've had some small tweaks. And despite like now I do CrossFit because it's fun. And I've never had any other real injuries outside of that broken arm when I was young. And I attribute the fibromyalgia to me avoiding injury because my body's sensitive and I get early warning signs if something might be going wrong, which enables me to stop what I'm doing and allow myself to navigate whatever the overstimulation of my system might be. So that's my physical body story. And the other things that people on the podcast might find relevant is that I did develop a workout program for people with fibromyalgia. And though I am retired, I still sell that only maybe five or six people a year. I'm very selective because I want to make sure it's going to work for them. And it takes my time to lead them through that because I really respect how difficult it is to exercise with fibromyalgia no matter your age or your background. Though I do firmly believe that if you can learn how to exercise with fibromyalgia, it dramatically increases your ability to live without symptoms. I definitely want to hear more of that. But curious, going back to your history, it sounds like as far as you can remember, we're always active. And I'm guessing that you would not have done it for that long if you didn't in some sense enjoy it these weren't your parents dragging you to this because you can only drag kids for so long it just was a natural fit for you and when did you by the time somebody goes to the doctor at age 14 or so or 15 when you got into the specialist when you look retrospectively especially now as an adult and young adult Looking back, sometimes the only brain, the only body you know is the one you have. And then you start seeing from other people that it wasn't normal to have such and such. What were some of the early symptoms that you recall having? Yeah. So the early symptoms were very clear. And I think, again, that's another reason why my story might be a little different than many, because I almost to the day, remember when it happened and I was running track and I was a sprinter. And when I ran the 200, I always had an extra gear that I could go into an extra set of gas I could put on out when I came around the curve through the straightaway. And one day I couldn't do it. My body would not increase my speed. And from there, I started to notice that some of my athletic performance was going down 
And this is an age when student athletes are increasing their athletic performance. And this is when you're seeing athletes grow exponentially as their bodies are forming and maturing, as you're building muscle mass, as you're learning how to eat better. Maybe you're starting to get interested in a vegetable. Hormones are starting to come into play. And when I noticed my peers increasing their athletic performance, I was stalling. And I didn't really understand why. And I think that also contributed to me being taken seriously because we could look at cause and effect from a very black and white, straightforward standpoint. Any good doctor is going to look at me, a student athlete, and say, this is weird, especially given my history of fairly good and competitive athletic performance in multiple sports. I was a gymnast. I played basketball. I ran cross country. I ran track, played volleyball, pretty much anything available to me. I did and did well. I was never really the best, but I was in the top percentage of athletes. And even when I'm was born in 1984. So we did you know, the presidential athletic like assessments and all of those things. And I was always assessing very well. So for me to have a dip in athletic performance got everybody's attention and got my attention because I knew enough to know this shouldn't be happening. Something is unique about me. Something is different. So that's when we started asking questions. I did also have some fatigue. I had some digestive issues, but at that time, those weren't my primary issues. As I got older, I would say that fatigue and emotional stress and digestive issues were my primary symptoms, but I also wasn't able to exercise how I could. I maintained my exercise, but I had to shift what it was and I wasn't focused on performance. I had to actually, one of the things that I don't really believe in regret but I am sad that my athletic career was stopped in my teens because I think if I had understood better or if we knew more then, this was a long time ago, what was going on, I think I maybe could have maintained or tried to get a scholarship to play volleyball at a school or something like that. But I didn't, I stopped those pursuits. So it was on me because I chose to then pursue other things instead. And that is sad, but in the long run, how I identified a flare or the thing that was the hardest for me to solve was actually my digestion. And I knew that something was wrong. Something was weird. I couldn't eat what everybody else was eating as easily. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Now, you didn't mention pain. It sounds like you had decrease in athletic performance. You're talking things that the average amateur would not even necessarily have been able to measure. And you were able to measure something that was observable. And when you're competing at a high school level, that was what showed up. But you never mentioned pain. What were the pain symptoms? And when did they start? Yes, there was pain. And the interesting thing was the pain at first could be explained. That started a little earlier when I was in middle school. And that was bilateral knee pain, which could be explained structurally. 
In fact, I still navigate some aspects of patellofemoral syndrome. My kneecaps like to slide around. So we were able to look at some of the chronic pain that I dealt with as a younger student athlete and explain it structurally. After I ended up in that office for the rheumatologist's office for some of these other reasons, then he asked more questions about pain that I had experienced. And we were able to track that, both of my knees, my left shoulder, lower back pain on my left-hand side, which can also be explained structurally. Some of my background, so as a fitness professional, my first certification was as a classical Pilates instructor. And I am an elite level, senior level master instructor in that. So I can understand that my pelvis was twisted. So that's why I'm having SI pain on my left-hand side. And that's why some of those muscles were getting impacted. Now, though I can explain the pain that I experienced structurally, which is something that I think I'm not a doctor, you are a doctor. We could say that people with fibromyalgia do have some existing explanations for why their pain shows up in the places that it does, given what may be special about their bodies and how they move. That's something that I have considered in my approach of how I work with other people who may have this, because again, symptoms are different. Everybody is different. I've got to look at what's unique about them. So though I could explain some of that structurally, of course I couldn't at the time that came later with my knowledge in my twenties that I started increasing with my certifications, the severity to which I experienced it didn't match, right? Because other than that broken arm, when I was six years old, I had some chronic stuff. The level of what was going on couldn't be tracked in a severity on an MRI that matched my explanation of my pain level. Why am I saying it's an eight out of 10 when it's mild patellofemoral syndrome? That doesn't match. So it was actually that doctor who in talking to me identified that wasn't matching up and then started to explore the fibromyalgia diagnosis. So again, I consider myself lucky that I had a doctor in front of me who believed me and at least had some awareness of this so that I was not gaslit as a teenager. It's weird to be grateful for this whole experience, but I very much am, which is also represented in the film. So you had some middle school symptoms with some knee pain explained as patel femoral, even had maybe some MRI imaging that did not seem to corroborate a major stress fracture that they might have been looking for. Holy cow, you have this swelling on your tibia. We need to shut you down. And they're like, you're probably okay. We don't see much. It looks pretty normal. Do some stretching. Did you ever have growing pains at night? Say, I can't sleep. My legs ache or ever even younger than middle school? Yes. As a very young kid, I had growing pains, very bad ones, mostly in my legs. And that was a question that came up in that office. I'm fairly certain. And I remember having conversations with my mom about it and that certain people in our family had that and certain people hadn't. So I was believed, oh, you have this, that's a thing. There's a name for it. And I remember there being a conversation enough that it it was notated, right? That this was a thing. So it could be then assessed and added to the list of other symptoms later. And for people who have growing pains, it's sometimes hard to put in words. And going back to your young childhood, what words would you use to try to describe what those felt like? And what part of the day would you notice them the most or night for that matter? 
It's a long time ago, but as I recall, it was only at night and it feels like the ache that people who are much more symptomatic of fibromyalgia than I am describe. It's that overwhelming, intense, it's so sweet in it's bad grammar, but there's a line in the film that someone says all over acheness. I think it's Nick's mom. And <laughs> I just love that because all over acheness. It's not aching, it's acheness. So we'll make a new word, right? Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's an experience. It's aching is not enough. It's it, it overwhelms your system and it overwhelms your mind and it overwhelms your body to the point where then we start to think we're a little crazy and it starts to be something that we can't function in the face of. And I remember later when I would get that aching that felt like growing pains in my 20s when I was told later that I had been living beyond my threshold for pain, which was very high. I had that broken arm for, I think, a week or two before we found out what was wrong because I didn't even cry. In my 20s, I'd been told that I'd been living beyond that high threshold for pain for multiple years, at least two, possibly longer, every single day. And at that time, my body would take those sort of growing pains feelings and add to it where my feet would swell dramatically. My ankles would swell dramatically. And it wasn't until only like a few years ago, I looked at, it's so funny, I looked at my legs and I was like, oh, I have nice ankles. Throughout my entire 20s, I thought I had a borderline cankle. In fact, I was teased about it because the swelling never fully went down. And I couldn't also even though I was a Pilates instructor, I couldn't also train my feet and my ankles very effectively. I couldn't exercise barefoot. That I wasn't even able to do until maybe three years ago. I had to work on it for many years to get the swelling to go down, to get those tissues to function, to get my ankles to be unstuck, to be able to move and rot rotate in inversion, eversion. Like I wasn't even able, even though I had the knowledge, I couldn't train my feet and ankles into something effective until recently. And that may go all the way back. And if you have an athlete jumping on stiff feet and ankles, that's going to create stiff calves. That's going to make the knees flare up like mine did. It's all a, a ripple effect. But, but if we look back again, I just like to conjecture on a biomechanics perspective because I'm fascinated by the human body. But if this happens early on and we have these growing pains and there is something happening and then it just compounds over decades while you're still trying to move and exercise and lift your life. You start, we're going to start to see things go wrong. So you had been told this is a real thing by your mom that, well, growing pains. Oh, one of your parents probably had it and an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, a cousin was that told. So this is something that happens. It's real. Now, there wasn't given more that many probably an answer a solution for rub put some epsom salt or i think i took some epsom baths yeah and for many of my patients that, that are athletes and often with that will notice that they are better when they're in overlapping seasons actually when they're in cross country and basketball and overlapping it's when the gap seasons would be when swimming season's over dance is over there's a month off and i 
didn't realize. And ironically, and this is an important point, and I've mentioned this before on other episodes, that there are two types of growing pains from what we understand now. And many pediatricians, I just had a patient yesterday, we were talking about this, we're talking about exercise, that there's the growth plate problems from running and jumping the prepubescent child who is doing all the gymnastics, and that's the pulling on the heel and the severs disease. But that's actually hurts more while they're jumping and running. Ironically, the growing pains that now we understand is more of a restless leg period limb disorder that runs in families often and is genetic is the nighttime problem. And yours was more in that realm of that. And if you could exercise enough for many people, they can hit a threshold, but there also can be that fatigue and exhaustion. And not only does the academic rigor or the uh, athletic rigor and competitiveness increase when you get into high school, the academic rigors and challenges probably get pulled in more than one direction that can increase stress and anxiety. Like we were talking yesterday with a patient of mine who is the same age that you were, who has similar things. And it turns out dad has this, brother has this. She has fatigue, getting good grades, but really working hard to get good grades. Probably doesn't meet the criteria for fibromyalgia, but has some fatigue, growing pains, painful period, headaches, and currently is not in a sport because just you start to often have to pick a sport. You were able to go in, at least for a while, in multiple sports, but often when you get to high school, there's picking one. You know, it's so competitive or Somebody just gets cut. They're good, but they're not good enough to make it on JV or varsity and or let alone even play in college. You went to the doctor after your pediatrician, at least hopefully said there's something wrong. They trusted you, but they said, I don't know. Maybe they ordered some blood work, did an exam, and they knew somebody, the rheumatologist, and referred you to the rheumatologist who did a careful history and an Doing some mental math, early 2000s, I'm guessing, somewhere around then? A little earlier than that. It probably would have been, yeah, maybe 99. Okay. So looking at the history of fibromyalgia, I think a lot of the early functional MRI imaging and stuff that came out was in the early 2000s, but still a question mark for a lot of people. And what's interesting now, the second most commonly diagnosed condition for a rheumatologist to make is actually fibromyalgia. Unfortunately, most make a diagnosis and actually defer off to their primary care doctor. Good news is you don't have something really bad, but you have this condition, but you don't have rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know what they said to you, but what did the rheumatologist talk about at the time around 1999? And we're talking 23 years ago. There was no YouTube videos to hear more, no podcast episodes to go get referred to. What understanding do you recall or explanation was given to you at the time of what fibromyalgia was? This is probably where the experience went from positive to more negative. And how positive is it when you're getting a chronic illness diagnosis in your teens? But I think you know what I mean. And I don't blame the doctor. This was maybe where his bedside manner failed because it was very much, we. there's no real confirmed way to diagnose this other than he did a, a palpation map test and asked me a bunch of questions. And he ruled out lupus and he ruled out rheumatoid arthritis and some of the other things that you're talking about. And I remember he said, you probably have this. 
there's no cure. And I, this is in the film as well, but basically told me to give up on my dreams of being an athlete. Even said, you probably can't be an actor. That's probably too, too physically of a career. Like really just tried to, I think, give me tough love and be realistic with me, which in its own way was a gift because I'm really stubborn. And if you tell me not to do something, I'm just going to do it. So what I did do at that point, you talk about choosing, I did scale back on sports and I leaned harder into the entertainment industry because it was more important to me that I follow through on my dreams of working in the entertainment industry than it was to be an athlete. And I'm proud to say I'm still a working actor. I did move away from theater in my twenties because I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to go the route of you're doing eight shows a week on Broadway and this is intense physically. And I, though I would have loved to go that way, I realized, okay, even if I'm on a film set for a 12 hour day in overtime, I'm only going to be working for a few hours of that. And mostly in my trailer resting or I can take naps. I can do whatever I need to do in the time in between. So I quickly did that math and I was like, okay, as an actor, I think I need to focus on film and TV. But it was hard to hear that there was no cure and that I would be different or I would have limitations that could impact my dreams I'd had for as long as I'd known. Cause I was always an actor and I was always an athlete and that's who I was. So now you, now I'm a teenager and you're trying to remove half of my identity. And then it took me learning about exercise and becoming an expert and for all intents and purposes, healing myself through smart exercise, nutrition, supplementation, mental health and stress management and alternative modalities, acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, some of those good physical therapists, those kinds of things. It took me doing that to reclaim my identity as an athlete, which didn't really happen until my late 20s in my own master's athlete way. <laughs> yeah. The film, when you're interviewed, you cried a little bit more than you are now. I was hoping you'd cry a little bit. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, let's do that again you gotta cry you gotta make your no, cry no, you here. tell the audience go rent the movie on vimeo on demand and watch the special features because there's a talk back and i weep so there, there's lots of crying right there like okay. no you were at the time my heart went out to you when you in that scene when you describe being told that you won't be able to do anything which is sad because for my patients who are going through this, there's a lot we can do. And that message, and as you learn, and that's why I was so excited to be able to interview you, is that perspective, being told you are going to be handicapped. This isn't to say you have multiple sclerosis. You're going to have major limitations. The nerves will not send messages to your muscles. And that is a misunderstanding. And maybe many of the patients he's had previously were people who had been the tip of the iceberg, the ones who were not named Rose, who did not have that fighter's mentality. And the heart to be told that in retrospect, you had been treating your predisposition to fibro because we know it's genetic your whole life by being active and a lot of the self-care involves just 
healthy living, which for you is community around things you enjoy, which was acting, which is social connection, people, movement, creativity. And to say you can't, which had to scratch your head because, wait, I think that's helping me. Did you have an immediate kind of that doesn't make sense completely? Because I think that I feel better when I'm doing these things. Was that going through your mind where you were at the time or you weren't sure? I wish I could say I was that perceptive. No, I don't think I, I don't think I gathered that. All I knew is that I craved exercise. And honestly, if we also think back, I was, I was a teenage female who wanted to be an actor in the late nineties, early two thousands at a time when Kate Moss was everywhere. And we had Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears everywhere. And so I was also trying to exercise because I thought I needed to look a certain way for the career that I wanted to have. So it would be remiss if I didn't include the other possibly less healthy psychologically motivations that I had to pay attention to my aesthetics of my physical body. That said, if I can look back now, I remember in my period of denial about this because I got this diagnosis and I denied it. And I didn't believe it until I was... I think 22, when I was diagnosed, and I think I say this in the film, I was then diagnosed by Dr. St. Amon's different diagnostic protocol while living in Los Angeles. And though I didn't follow his treatment protocol, I do really respect his diagnostic protocol. And that's actually the diagnostic protocol that we show in the film through Dr. Congdon in San Francisco. But I remember there was an in-between rheumatologist who also said, yeah, you probably have fibromyalgia, who I also still didn't believe, who commented that it was odd that I was so active and commented that I had a healthy body weight and that I was fit. And many doctors over the years, over that span from around 14 to 22, and even later actually, doctor care doctors even in New York later in, in my late 20s when I still was coming out of symptoms, right, would comment that it was odd that I was fit and exercised and possibly even more odd that I was also a fitness professional. Lessons learned. What did you learn during this week's episode? I'd like to hear back. Please email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. I hope you at least had a chance to hear the first part of Rose's story. Someone who has been battling fibromyalgia and has been in recovery. She's been doing this through the use of a healthy lifestyle involving regular continuous exercise, a good mindset, not everybody has had not everybody has had the same results as what Rose has had but this is the first episode that I did dedicated to exercise as a very helpful tool to help you on your journey of living the best life possible with fibromyalgia to help support the show please hit the like or follow button leave a five star rating and review that way more people can learn about how to live the best life possible with fibromyalgia. Until next week, go Team Fibro!